0: A reading from Isaiah seven ten through 16. Again the Lord spoke to Ahaz, saying, Ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be deep as shoal or high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, and I will not put the Lord to the test. Then Isaiah said, Hear then, O house of David. Is it too little for you to weary, for you to weary mortals, That you weary my God also. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Look, the young woman is with child and shall bear a son and shall name him Emmanuel. He shall eat curds and honey and by the the time he knows how to refuse the evil and choose for the good. For before the child knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land before whose two kings you are in dread will be deserted. This is the Word of God for the people of God. Be to God. Matthew 1:18 through25. Now the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, took place in this way. When his mother, Mary, had been engaged to Joseph, but before they lived together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Her husband, Joseph, being a righteous man and unwilling to expose her to the public disgrace, planned to dismiss her quietly. But just when he had had resolved to do this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Look. The virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph awoke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took her as his wife, but had no marital relations with her until she had borne a son, and he, named, and he named him Jesus. This is the word of God for the people of God.
1: Thanks be to God. Ah, the season of Advent, we're at the fourth Sunday of Advent and Christmas Eve is just around the corner, which is crazy because it really didn't feel like it until it started getting a little bit colder, but maybe we're starting to feel it a little bit more now. The season of Advent is all about the anticipation of Christmas, the day that we celebrate the birth of Christ and recognize that Christ will come again. It's a season of Waiting. And waiting isn't all that fun, but it's important. The waiting makes it worth it, the journey makes the destination all the more meaningful. But this day that we're about to celebrate, Christmas Day, it's about more than just Jesus' birthday. Now, yeah, that is a, a huge and important part about all of this, but really, Christmas Day is all about the mind-boggling thing that God chose to do that day. God chose to break through all the known laws of physics and nature and what we expect gods to do. God became human, incarnate, flesh dwelt among us. And why on earth would God choose to do that? I was definitely that very annoying child growing up that asked the why question far too often about everything because I wanted to understand. And this one, this one this one question here, why did God choose to become human is absolutely perplexing. What's the point? Isn't there any other way God could have, you know, chosen to do the whole salvation narrative other than becoming mortal human? flesh, an infant in a manger, ridiculed and disgraced and like having to go through all the human suffering and whatnot? Why did God choose to become human? This is absolutely unprecedented uh, whenever it comes to gods, simply because gods aren't supposed to do that. Gods aren't supposed to become human. Now, now, don't get me wrong, there are many belief systems out there and mythologies out there that have gods becoming human. Uh, the story of Hercules is one where Hercules is born as a god and then loses his uh, immortality in god's but, and god status, and many others as well, but uh, in these there is one serious distinction. In these other belief systems, when a god becomes a human, it's either an accident, or it's for that god to enact some kind of control over the people, to have some kind of dominion. For example, in uh, Egyptian uh, belief systems, uh, early Egyptian belief systems, the pharaohs were seen as gods, these divine entities that were meant to rule over the people, this kind of stuff. With Jesus, however, God became human and and so human in fact that God goes through the full human life cycle like ch- being born like as an infant and like growing up and you know nobody ever talks about like what what kind of hobbies did Jesus have, or you know what was uh Jesus' favorite snack growing up or you know like what was puberty like and adolescence like for Jesus? Like, (laughs) nobody ever talks about that stuff. We don't really get into all that. But God chose to go through the whole human life cycle for us. That's how human that God becomes, all for one reason. And it's the one word that we heard repeated twice in both our uh, Old Testament and New Testament lesson. Emmanuel. God became human To be with us. To be with us. This can only be called an act of divine love. Today is the fourth Sunday of Advent, and in this uh, season we focus on the theme of love. We lit the love candle today, uh, thanks to the Haywood family. And love is funny, right? Love is one of those things that... uh, my estimate, I'd probably be proven wrong, but my estimate is that 97% of all movies and songs and works of art have some connection to love in them in some way, shape, or form. Maybe not always romantic love, but some form of love that's connected to them. Uh, I mean, this is such a uh, a universal concept, and it's so everywhere. Uh, I mean, even, you know, McDonald's, one of the most uh, uh, common fast food chains in the world, uses the slogan, what is it? Yeah, I'm loving it. Love is, e- is so universal, it's even in, our, uh, in the language of those kind of chain institutions. We have a million different definitions for what love is. So, let's play a game with that. I want you to complete this sentence for me. Love is... Blind. Blind. Love is blind, yeah. Weird TV show, too, if you've watched that. What's that? (laughs) Love boat? (laughs) That's good. Yeah. Love is... What? What is love? What's that? Patient. Patient. All right. 1 Corinthians thirteen. Thank you very much. I love it. What else? Love is caring. Yeah. Love is kind. Love is kind. Absolutely. Love is essential. Love is essential. Love is everywhere. I like that. Oh yeah. Love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, et cetera, et cetera. You know, all, the, all that stuff gets read at like every single wedding. Yeah. Love is weird. How about that one? <laughs> love is complicated. Love is unusual. Love is frustrating. Love is, I mean, we can put just about any single word we'd like to behind there because love is an experience that has to do with the connection we're making to what we love. It's interesting because depending on what we're thinking about in reference to love, we can get many different answers about what love is. For instance, my love of Taco Bell, my love of cold weather, my love of my dog Peanut, and my love of my wife Kristen are all different. They are not the same kind of love. I do not love Taco Bell the same way that I love Kristen. When she asks, and she does ask this on more than one occasion, which do you love more, Taco Bell or me? I respond, I love you both differently. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it, uh, yeah it's, it's, uh, it's not wise of me to respond that way, but. But this is, this is the way that uh, love works. Whenever we have a different connection with something, our love for that is understood differently. And perhaps it would be better explained if we were more like the Greco-Roman society and had various words for the kind of love that we experience. And we've talked about this before, about the different words that uh, the Greco-Roman civilization used for love. And it's debated, some of these words, if they're really related to love or not. But the examples are eros, which is passionate love, romantic love. There is philia, which is friendship, friendly love. There is, of course, agape, which is the word we often use in in church to describe selfless, universal, unconditional love. There's storge, which is familial love, uh, which is the kind of love that we have between family members. There is mania, which is obsessive love. That's what I experienced with Taco Bell. There is ludus, which is playful love, like puppy love. There is pragma, which is enduring practical love. This is. Uh, What typically develops in a marriage or a long-term bond becomes that. And then there's also philautia, which is self-love. And this is not selfishness. Uh, Philautia is uh, the kind of love of, like, self-respect, having uh, care and concern for oneself, taking care of oneself. We can only love as effectively as we understand how to love ourselves. Uh, and there are a handful of others that could be tied in there and some people would say some of those words don't belong in this at all I mean uh, the word ludus is actually Latin not Greek but anyway I digress Uh, if we were more in this kind of culture we had these various words to describe the kind of love we're talking about perhaps it wouldn't be such a uh, beaten up word a word that gets so overused but if we take a moment and consider love in all its different forms, love in all its different words, and all its different concepts, we could possibly, arguably, debatably, boil it down to one single concept. Connection. Love is being connected with another. And we see this particularly in uh, Gary Chapman's Five Love Languages. If you've ever taken this uh, test, you can go online, just search Five Love Languages Quiz. You can take this test. And what this test tells you is the way in which you receive uh, love the best, the way that you feel love from another person the best. There are five of them, and they are uh, quality time, spending time with that person, physical touch, connected. Hugs, holding hands, stuff like that. Uh, words of affirmation, being encouraged, hearing good things. Uh, we also have um, giving gifts. We actually like give things to another person. And then, of course, acts of service, doing things for another. And in these five love languages, one thing that is uh, that remains essential is that none of them work. None of those five love languages even make any sense without connection. For instance, quality time. Quality time implies that there is some amount of time spent in connection with another. Even with self, if we want to continue with the philoutia uh, definition, that is perfectly acceptable, but there is a connection there. Or if we want to look at physical touch, giving hugs, uh, sitting close to each other. Uh, physical touch is my second love language, and I'm very much a kind of person who I like to lean against Kristen. It's just like how I feel connected, just leaning. She hates it. She gets claustrophobic from it. Yikes. <laughs> Uh, there's words of affirmation in which we tell another person uh, we have this connection with them we tell them about that connection and how it means to us we have this uh, giving gifts implies that there is something to be given to another in that connection and of course acts of service for another connection is essential is an essential definition of love And when we define love as connection, we can see why it is is so important that we celebrate Advent and Christmas. This is a time about how God chose to be with us, to have that connection with us. In both our Old and New Testament lessons today, we have the same name given to the Messiah, Emmanuel, God with us us. And to frame this a little bit more in love, I want to tell you about one of the most challenging times in my life. And challenging is relative, but I see this as one of the most. It was my first year of seminary. And it wasn't school that was challenging, necessarily. I felt pretty well equipped for seminary. Uh, It wasn't... I'm not going to walk that way. I'm going to catch on fire. Uh, It it wasn't the school that was challenging. It wasn't being in a new city that was challenging. It it wasn't, you know, the making new friends that was challenging. Uh, What was challenging about my first year of seminary is that at the very beginning, Kristen and I got engaged and we lived in two different cities. She lived in Montgomery, I lived in Atlanta, which isn't a crazy amount of time to get between the two. Two, two and a half hours uh, difference. But it was a whole time zone difference as a whole state away, and we had other things going on. And being engaged to the person you love and not being able to be with them all the time is exhausting and horrible and sad. And during this time was actually. Uh, Probably one of the most depressed I have ever gotten in my life, to the point where I ended up secluding myself in my room far too often, uh, where I rarely went out and did things. Uh, I had people who I could be friends with and who wanted to be friends with me, but I wouldn't reach out to them. I just became so depressed and so isolated because I wasn't uh, able to emphasize this meaningful connection. Now, Kristen and I tried many different ways to keep this connection up. Uh, We wrote letters to each other. We talked on the phone every single day. We were constantly texting each other. And of course, as often as we could, we went to visit one another. But I'll tell you what, that entire time of being engaged could never compare to the joy that came after our wedding. Our wedding day was, was great. It was a lot of fun, you know, all that sort of stuff. But afterwards, getting to be together all the time, getting to emphasize that connection all the time, it put everything else into perspective about how important connection is when it comes to love. And this, I think, is something that we learn so innately within ourselves from such an early time. Whenever we're children, we develop that kind of connection with our families, with the people around us. As we're growing up, we develop those meaningful connections with our peers. And I think this is something that we glean thanks to the Holy Spirit. I know, very churchy thing to say. But I mean it. Thanks to the Holy Spirit, we glean this understanding that love requires connection and vice versa. And I think we understand this because that's how God has intended it. Because it was always God's plan to be with us. That perfect divine love would be with us. There's just something powerful about that connection. During this season of Advent, as we consider that God has chosen to be with us. We've been focusing on four themes each Sunday. The first Sunday was hope, the second, peace, the third, joy, and the fourth today, love. Each theme is what God incarnate in Jesus brings us. These are, as we call them, the real gifts of Christmas, hope peace, joy, and love. And each theme is made all the more important when we realize that God is with us. Our hope in Christ is one of patience and expectation that we will be with God from now and through eternity. Our peace in Christ reminds us That the presence of God in our lives restores all brokenness. Our joy in Christ conveys that God is the ultimate source of what we strive for in our lives, and we experience that joy most profoundly when we experience God with us. And our love in Christ is built on the lesson of connection and is enhanced as we experience God with us. So, if there is one thing that we can glean leading up to Christmas. It is that connection is everything we need. And I hate to say this, but the Hallmark movies end up being right. You know, there's always that one person who's trying to prioritize work over Christmas and all of a sudden it gets in the way of all the family business, but it's not until the climax of the movie that that person realizes work isn't as important as family. Or there's that other person who, who is just trying to be all by themselves, all by their lonesome. They don't want to have anything to do with Christmas. They're a big uh, grumpy Grinch, a uh, big Scrooge. And then it's at the climax of the movie that we see them coming to realize the importance of being together with people. Uh, we watched... Um, uh, last night, we wa- my wife and I watched The Grinch, How the Grinch Stole Christmas, the Jim Carrey version, because that's the best. Uh, he's just a phenomenal Grinch. And we see that it's not about the presents that make Christmas, it's about being together on Christmas Day. Uh, that, that, you know, all of these movies, all of these uh, themes, they end up getting it correct, that it's about connection, it's about being together. And so, my challenge for us today leading up to Christmas Eve and Christmas Day is to be with one another and to be with God. And in doing so, I've made us a little something, a little Christmas to-do list. Now, I have to say, this isn't, this isn't something that I made uh, myself. I uh, stole this off the Internet. Uh, you might have seen it circulating around uh, social media if you're on that. Uh, this Christmas to-do list, I'm going to get you all to help me pass these around. She's got a big stack there. I'm all, oh, oh, perfect. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. This Christmas to-do list looks like your typical to-do list at first. You have buy presents. Yeah. Amazon's been busy this season. Buy presents, wrap gifts, send cards. If you still do Christmas cards, we do. We love Christmas cards. Shop for food, got to feed all those people, make cookies, Santa's got to eat something. See the lights. That's one of my favorite parts. But this Christmas to-do list calls our attention to reframing all of these things, putting it into a new perspective, bringing connection and love back to it. Instead of buying presents, let us be present. Instead of wrapping gifts, let us wrap people in hugs. Instead of sending cards, let us send love. Rather than shopping for food, let us focus on donating food to those who have need. Instead of spending all of our time making cookies, let us make time for people. And as much fun as it is to see the lights, it's most important that we be the light. And I'm sure there are a couple other things you can scribble on the back of all of this, but I hope that this will be part of a reminder this season to be with one another and to be with God. Because that's what the love of this season is all about. That connection that God chose to be Emmanuel, God with us. Let us pray.